Welcome to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, the podcast for high achievers who want to stay sharp, focused, and full of energy despite their diagnosis. With your host, National Board Certified Functional Medicine Health Coach, Julie Michelson, where Julie helps you take your power back from autoimmunity. And now here's your host, Julie Michelson. Welcome back to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast. I'm your host, Julie Michelson. And in today's episode, we're joined by Cara Jefferson, and we're talking about the gut-brain connection and the role that chronic stress plays in illness. Cara's healing journey is beyond inspiring and led her from working in the ER to functional medicine, where she empowers patients to have more control over their health. Kara shares how we can all bring mindfulness to our day-to-day in order to keep in touch with what our bodies need and have better lives all around. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. So I am so excited for you to share with us today. And I love to have listeners get to know you a little bit. I know most of us don't decide when we're youngsters that this is where life is going to take us and and how we're going to spend our time. So I would love for you to share a little bit of your journey with listeners and, and specifically, of course, you know, what brought you to the functional medicine realm? So, yeah, you're exactly right. I was a college student many years ago and I thought that everything in my life was going great. And then you know, I had some stomach pains like everybody else. You have a little bit of stomach pain. You have a little bit of diarrhea. You think you have a stomach bug. You move on because that's what I was told that I actually had for three years. And then in my senior year of college, I started having worsening belly pain to the point that I didn't want to leave the room. I couldn't be far from the bathroom. I lost 10 pounds in less than a month, went to the doctor, and I was told I had a stomach virus. And I knew I didn't have a stomach virus, all of those symptoms, you know, night sweats, all of it. And so I remember leaving that office feeling so fired up. I was angry and I (laughs) called my parents and I was like, I actually need to go see a gastroenterologist because my major at the time was biology pre-med. And so I also knew that something was wrong. So I called the insurance company and they gave me a big long list and the wait to get into all of the gastroenterologists was like three to six months. And I just called and made appointments and canceled appointments until I found somebody who could take me ASAP. And I did. I found somebody who could take me. I had a colonoscopy and I remember waking up and looking at my parents' faces and knowing something was immediately wrong. But I was too sleepy at the time to recognize it. And then later that evening, they were like, yeah, he says you have one of the most advanced cases of Crohn's disease that he's ever seen. He's going to try to keep you on and keep you as his patient, but he's not sure. So we're going (sighs) to just start with these steroids and these pills. So that was the, the beginning of what seemed like a long, tumultuous journey. I soon had a GI bleed. I had pancreatitis. They weren't sure if it was the medication they put me on or my gallbladder since it had sludge. So then they removed my gallbladder, Uh, got pancreatitis again. Wasn't the gallbladder. Wasn't the gallbladder. (laughs) No, it was (laughs) 
<laughs> it was actually the medication was on a bunch of different medications, medication after medication, steroid after steroid, then moved up to the biologics. And the one thing that we determined is once I started the biologics, every two years, I was having surgery. My Crohn's disease, wow. which is an autoimmune disease, which affects you anywhere from the mouth to the anus, it actually forms strictures. So imagine like your intestines being the size of this, but food is only passing through this pinpoint hole. So my strictures would get so inflamed that I had to have, first I had a hemicolectomy, and then I had a small bowel resection. Then I had a strictureoplasty in a small bowel resection. Then I had another small bowel resection. And throughout oh. all of this, yeah, permanently oh. broken digestion. <laughs> so they in told you. Way. Yes. Exactly. And so, you know, bowel obstructions, because now I have all these surgeries and all the surgeries form scar tissue or adhesions. Yep. And so then I kept getting bowel obstructions. So severe cramping, vomiting, like projectile vomiting. And so finally, I remember going and I, he saw me in the hospital and he's like, you need to have another surgery. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm I actually had saw something somewhere about this lady who had had fertility problems and adhesions, and she did this manipulative type of physical therapy. And so I said, I'm going to try that. And the surgeon was like, that's a bad idea. But my GI doc was like, you know what? Do it. You'll try it. And so that's what actually started my road to recovery. I did that. My mom is a Reiki master, yoga instructor, wow. and hangs out with a bunch of alternative medicine friends. We put a little bit of essential oils in that mix. And I slowly found functional medicine, started employing some of those practices. And my Crohn's disease has been in remission. Wow. What an amazing, I see. I knew you had, I knew you had a story. I didn't know it was that intense. And it's one of my, I have so many, but this isn't supposed to be what the whole interview and it won't be what the whole interview is about, but I have so many questions as this is listeners already know, you know, my mission is that nobody is told they can't heal. And that if somebody's told they can't heal, they've already heard enough to know they shouldn't believe it. And obviously autoimmunity across the board, chronic illness in general, but autoimmunity across the board, but Crohn's and ulcerative colitis are like my pet peeve diagnoses in that, and I'm so I'm really curious about your story. Most of the people I encounter, they're not told to change diet or they're told to avoid things like vegetables because that's dangerous. Or, and you know, again, it's that same story that I was told with the RA nothing you could do but take the steroids, take the biologics, it's your only hope. And it's maybe. I don't have either one of those diagnoses, never did, but I have a son with celiac who projectile vomited his first four years of life and was super medicated for that and saw the quote unquote top specialists at the universities, you know, but, and, and nobody ever said, what are you eating when I was nursing or what is he eating when he was, I mean, it, it just. And now in hindsight, I'm like, okay, 
it, we all know all of it. And we're going to talk about this today. The gut is related to, to all of it. But when you have something like Crohn's symptoms, the fact that food is like the last thing they think about just literally blows my mind. It blows my mind. It, yeah. So it, it blows my mind too. Like as I go back and I look at, look back at what happened, it wasn't probably until 10 years into my journey that they actually had me sit down. I think I sat with both a dietitian and a nutritionist on two different occasions, but that was way later. Their main message in the beginning was, I understand that your desire was to go to medical school, but you actually can't because the stress is going to kill you. Crohn's disease is something that you will have to live with for the rest of your life. There is no cure. You will be on medication forever and ever. The only thing that might help you is if you happen to have surgery, that you end up with a bag for, you know, for life. And that's the only, that's the only thing I was told in order to keep your symptoms at bay, you can eat rice. You can eat as much potatoes as you yeah. want. White bread. Stay, oh, yes. White bread, white rice. Anything oh. else is going to aggravate your gut. Vegetables, stay away from them. They will yeah. aggravate your gut. And so <sighs> I did the exact opposite when I was healing, you know, of every single thing they told me. But yeah, that's what, that's what life was like. Well, and this is exactly why we do this, right? Because... Again, I, nobody needs to take that as truth. And, and see, it took me so good for you. You got angry right away. You know, it, it took me years to realize, like, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe they're wrong. <laughs> you know, I know, 11 years and I was on 10 prescriptions 11 years in that weren't helping. And so good for you, although you obviously still had a very tumultuous journey to get to where you are now. How are you today? So today I feel good. And I also look back and I think that I made some of the right choices, even though I didn't know they were right. So, you know, is stress bad? Yes, it is. It's bad when you have any kind of gut problem, but it's bad for anybody. So it wasn't just the fact that I had Crohn's disease that made it bad. But I think back right now, especially Every single time I was in pain and I had to go to the emergency department or I went and I saw they were like, do you need a prescription for some pain medicines? And I never did. I was, I have a pretty high pain tolerance. Mm -hmm. And so I never became addicted to any pain medicines or anything like that. But I could see how somebody in my very same shoes, how easy it would be because you're just suffering all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did take pain medications at night to sleep. I was a single mom. So well, still am a single mom, but with young kids at the time. And so taking them during the day wasn't an option for me. And I remember it's So I remember when, I mean, those are the two things they're willing to write quickly, right? That, and do you need an antidepressant? No, I'm not depressed. Like fix me, <laughs> I'm not, you know, but I remember when I was making changes and they were starting to work and I went to the rheumatologist and I said, and, and he said, do you need a prescription, you know, a new prescription for painkillers? And I said, no. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, I don't take them anymore. And he looked at me and he goes, wow, most pay all my, you know, almost all my patients just need 
more and more, you know, higher doses, nobody ever takes themselves off. And and I remember thinking, I didn't say it because I was raised well, you know, like, well, don't you think something's wrong with that model? (laughs) Why is that the only thing you expect is to have to write, you know, so thank God. I'm so grateful that Yes, I, I was using them, but I did. I wasn't addicted and didn't become addicted, and and I can just see how, you know, it could totally become a crutch, and and you know, it's it's not the patient's fault. Like it just is just part of. They give them out like pet candy. candy. Yeah, I'm I'm I know guilty. I've worked emergency medicine for practically my whole nurse practitioner yeah. career. So I understand. Well, and and so you understand kind of the behind the scenes too. Part of it is, you know, you if especially in an ER, because I went through this, this made me that I again I was I don't even remember where I was in, in my journey, but I, I still had pain medication. I was starting to do better. I was riding my horse again. I had fractured my back and ended up in the ER, gave them my full history, gave them all 11 medications or 10 medications I was taking, including the painkillers. And they, A, they didn't find the fracture in that particular ER. Right. And, and I, had that, like knew something was really wrong. Um, so luckily I had a great doctor and called her and said, they just sent me home, but they missed something. Something's really wrong. And so she called ahead and sent me to another ER. And of course, then I had a, I had a fracture and, and which made much more sense, but the one thing they were sure to do was send, you know, call in a Percocet prescription. And I even said to them, I'm like, but I, have a bottle of Vicodin at home. I don't need Percocet. <laughs> like this isn't about the, pa- I'm not pain seeking <laughs> like I, you know, or medication seeking, but that it, part of it is, I think their feedback loop that, you know, they can't send you home without good pain control. And that's, you know, yeah, they're it's taught in- that that's good medicine. And right. And when somebody's ha- in acute pain, yeah, you know, the goal is always let's give you something to be more comfortable because I, sure. you know, all the times I was in the emergency department and at the time I used to apologize and I actually didn't want my parents to bring me because mm-hmm. I was like, not to that ER because I knew all the people working there right. and I always felt like, I'm so sorry that you don't want to be deal a burden. With me. Yeah. 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 Well, and that story, <laughs> the the apologetic, you know, well-behaved young lady plays right into, you mentioned stress, right? And, and it is interesting to me that, that doctors told you even early on, like medical school is too stressful. So, so on some level, they do understand that there's a lifestyle connection. Yes. Right. But, um, but they never said what, what, this is how you actually manage stress. This is how you decrease stress. It was, you can't go to medical school because it's going to kill you. And so for me, I've always been very driven. So I was like, so what do you want me to do? Because I can't stay home. I recognize that for some people, things get really bad and debilitating enough that they feel like they don't have a choice. But for me, I knew that I still wanted to help people. So I did 
the other stressful thing. And I went to nursing school, the nurse practitioner yeah, school. And then I got so much doctor. better, <laughs> so much less stressful. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. my goodness. So uh, your, your story so accentuates, and again, it's not just Crohn's and UC, it's all of us. We have this, this connection with the gut right? Anybody with autoimmunity, all of us in general, health and immunity want to talk about that and bring stress into the conversation since it is, we know such a, such, I always look at like chicken or egg, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so they, you know, once you're diagnosed, they say, well, this is too stressful for you. Well, like, hmm, I wonder if that stress level led to the diagnosis to begin with. So, and I'm going to just throw it at you to start wherever you want with that really giant multi-tentacled question. Yeah. And I think, so there's different kinds of stress. And I don't think that people really recognize that stress is not just one thing, but stress is usually defined as your body's response to any kind of demand. And so there's good stress, which is called you stress. So you know, you preparing for your wedding or you just got engaged and are putting together an engagement party or your kid's birthday party. Those are examples of good stress because you know that in the end, you're generally going to have some kind of good outcome. The problem comes in when our body goes into distress, which is the bad stress, and it has a negative connotation and you stay there for prolonged periods of time. So then it's no longer an acute event It is something that is chronic. And so that's when you start getting all these little warning signs from your body. And so that's when those symptoms occur, right? Maybe it's a headache. Maybe it's belly pain. You know, like sometimes when things don't feel good, some people get that little sensation in their gut. So you automatically know something's (laughs) not right here. Those are all your body saying, hey, look at me. Something is going on. I need you to slow down. And so that's kind of how I tie stress in. The other part is, you know, stress, a lot of people think your brain is completely separate from your gut. They're not. Your serotonin, you know, 50, 50% of your dopamine produced in your gut, over 90% of your serotonin produced in your gut. And so people think about those things as just dealing with the brain, but it's not just the brain. It's your full body health. And so the reason that you find that when people are stressed or they say they're anxious, they generally have some kind of gut component to it. That's why people who are chronically ill, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, they want to give you the antidepressant. So I think exactly what you said there, they know that the medical community knows there's some relationship, just not quite sure how, and it's always easier to throw a pill Well, and that's the training of the model to, you know, it it really is. And you worked in an ER, like, you know, if I had an emergency, if I need surgery, like that's where I'm going is to that Western system. It's great at acute care. I wanted to circle back and because I know you see this and I see it. And for those listeners that are like, oh, they're talking about stress again. You know, I don't feel stressed out. We don't necessarily, you talked about the signals that we get. We always get the signals, but often we're, we've become disconnected from them and we don't hear it. So for everybody listening, you, uh, you didn't, you guys have heard me say this before. You don't have to feel stressed out 
to have chronic stress be affecting your health. And you, you did such a beautiful job, you know, giving us examples of, of the, both the use stress and the distress and just know like in today's world, it like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be one stress that's there chronically. We have countless little stressors that rotate and compile and add up. And so, and that creates that, that kind of chronic stress issue. And that's why sometimes we'll support, you know, clients with, you know, gut stuff, real, real significant gut stuff where, and I know stress is a player and we're working on stress management and they'll support with some neurotransmitter support. And they're like, but wait, why am I on that supplement? And I'm like, well, all this stuff's made in your gut or a lot of it is. And again, chicken or egg, it's like, which, which imbalance came And so somebody doesn't have to have chronic diarrhea or constipation. And, and we just were talking about somebody who came into the clinic last week and it, people here, I say, are you constipated or how's your gut? And people say, oh, fine. I'm like, well, tell me more. Yes. (laughs) Tell me more about that. How often are you moving your bowels and what is it like? We don't have to get too into all of it here, but I'll just offer this. What is normal for you may not be optimal. So just because you've had diarrhea since childhood doesn't mean that's how it should be. And if you're only pooping once a week and you think that's fine, uh uh-uh. Uh, yeah. n- no bueno. Yeah, it's not. And people think that when I think it's that most people for most people, stress is mostly a mental thing. But even when you're sick, even when you have a cold, your body is under stress, right? It's still under that physical stress. There's also the emotional stress. If you have a undergo any kind of traumatic event, the death of a loved one, even loss of a job. There's so many examples that I can give, but every single thing factors in and we are not one dimensional. Like we experience life on all these different levels and all of that combined makes us who we are. But just because we're not thinking about it, just because like you know, I could have something on on in my life right now and I'm smiling and I'm talking and everything is fine. It doesn't mean that I don't have all of this stuff in the back of my head that the minute I stop is not going to come right back up. Or I know I need to cry, but I'm holding it all in because I don't want people to see my emotions. Over time, holding stuff in is really, <laughs> it's really detrimental to your health. And that's a whole, that's like that chronic stress. Because normally if you have an acute stress event, your body is able to take that and within 90 minutes, turn that around, generally, assuming you're sleeping well too. But when you're not, it's over and over. Your system is hit. And it's so like, imagine standing up, marching, and every single time some stressful event hits you, you go down, you go down, you go down. And so then you're not upright anymore, right? You're kind of beaten and worn down. And that's what stress does to you. That is very, very well said. And again, we, you, you mentioned it right in the beginning, but I'm going to circle back stress. People hear stress. And and because we talk about chronic stress and illness or stress and, and health, they think, Oh, stress is bad. No, stress isn't bad. We need stress. 
-hmm. Exercise is stress, right? You build muscles by stressing them so they can repair. So it's not the stress, it's how we manage it or don't. don't. Um, And so I want to talk about that because I always joke, you know, we don't have the podcast just to be Debbie Downers and and sound hopeless. That's that's the opposite of the cause, right? So you're really here to share with us what we can do about it or what we should be doing about it or what we might do about it. And so if we, you and I can get everybody to believe us that they all are experiencing chronic stress to some degree, where do we start? What are some things we can be doing? So one of the most important things I think that we need to realize is that our life, especially here in America, but I venture to say all over the world, has become one of convenience. And so we are rushing, 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 which means that we are putting our autonomic nervous system, it is having to choose between your sympathetic nervous system state, which is your fight or flight, versus your parasympathetic nervous system state, which is rest and digest, which is where we want to optimally be. And so in order to get yourself and get that stress level down, we actually need to be more mindful. And I know people are probably listening to this and they'll say, oh, here we go with that mindfulness. just rolled. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go with that. But really all mindfulness is, is your ability to be fully present in the moment to be able to feel whatever it is that you need to feel for you to not be overwhelmed about everything that's going on around you and slow down, right? What's your body doing? How am I moving? How am I breathing right now? Because when I, usually when I ask this in, I ask this in a workshop that I just did, like, So how are you breathing? And it forces people to actually stop and say, I don't ever really think about breathing. And it's not something that people normally do. But I also have seen people who walk around and in their attempt to be slimming, they hold their breath in all the time, like they hold their belly in, right? All the time. And when you hold your belly in, you can't fully expand your lungs, yeah. So that's still stressing your body in a way that it doesn't need to be stressed. So just being mindful, am I holding my breath in? Do I have tension around my neck? Like just what's going on in your body at this moment? I love that. With the kind of picture that flashed in front of me when you, when you said you talked about your ability to be fully present in the moment. It is it's an art that is almost lost. I mean, it it does take, we talk about mindfulness practice. It does take practice in this day and age, as, as you mentioned, you know, the way we're in this go, go, go society. And if you think about, you know, I was going to say a teenage kid, but it's not even it's adults too, you know, people always on their phones and they're not really with you when they're with you. So we went from like, not even being in touch with what's going on in our bodies and not even being present and connected with those that we're with. Yes. And so what a gift it becomes for loved ones and friends and everybody, you know, for everybody. Yeah. Everybody. I think, 
Yeah, I, I'm guilty. So like, you know, even though we, yeah, even though we practice this stuff, it still takes conscious effort. And the one thing that I try to tell my clients is that there's no such thing as a quick fix, right? Yeah. Even when you think you're doing something that's a quick fix, like taking a pill, over time, there are consequences to that. So right. Being mindful is a practice just like anything else. All of a sudden, you didn't just get good at your job today. It took you doing it over and over and over. And that's what mindfulness is. It's the same thing with with breath work. Because I like to think of breath work a lot with mindfulness. But breathing helps to, especially breath work, it helps to regulate your autonomic nervous system. And so then it helps you become more resilient so that you just don't fall apart at any time of stress. You can actually just pause because I was at something and the three words were pause, breathe, reflect. And so if you can do that and just pause and really be conscious, some for most people, it's taking a big deep breath and letting it out. Some people do the box breathing technique where they inhale for four, pause up at the top for four, exhale for four, and start the whole process all over again. Whatever you need to do, breathing can really help you it, get it's so right. It's one of my absolute favorite hacks, if you will. It's not really a hack. <laughs> it's an essential tool. But what I love about breathing, I always tell people, nobody knows when you're doing it. So once you build the practice and that is a tool that you can use as a go-to, oh my gosh, the power in, you know, somebody's trying to push your buttons. You can be breathing and it's just not going to get you to that spot where it could have. Um, and so it is so, so powerful. I, I love that. I love the pause, breathe, reflect. I, I have a friend, I don't know if that's where you were, who has a, that's the name of his, his business is... PBR, pause, breathe, reflect. So it's, it's essential. So is that where you have people start is breath or? So I think, well, I think it's a, you can start with breath. I don't, I think, so the way that I approach things is there's no one way fits all for everybody. So people have to start with the thing that feels the best. I generally encourage people, because in addition to stress, we have to work on sleep, which kind of goes in concert. And we also have to work on food and nutrition. But the thing that I really want people to do is find some kind of joy, right? I call that vitamin J. That's what I learned from that. So find something that makes you happy. And so whether that's putting on music because you like music, or maybe you're one of these people who likes to dance, get up and dance and shake it like nobody's watching, right? Laugh. Comedy helps a lot of people. So whatever that strategy is for you, find something. And when you're feeling stressed, just make sure that you have these moments like that interspersed throughout your day so that it's not, oh my gosh, I have this to do. I have this to do. And you're not having any fun at all. Just a little, those little moments of fun are actually the thing that actually got me out of my head when I was going through this. And I encourage it for everybody. They are so, so powerful. And I love that you hit on how individualized it really does need to be. Just like diet and other lifestyle areas, you know, people say to me all the time, just tell me what to eat. You know, what do you eat? I'll eat what you eat. I'm like, oh, but you're not in my body. It's the same. I I joke, one of my absolute favorite stress relievers is time with my horses. 
And I joke because, you know, some people might not find that stress relieving to be with a 1200 pound animal that is, lives in a fight or flight response all the time. <laughs> so, but for me, that's like my Zen, my bliss. I love it. And so it really does, it is individual. And some of the, obviously that's a bigger activity, although they're here at home so I can run out, but whether it's, and the laughter and the joy, I am sure you see what I see. It, it breaks my heart. I'll ask people what brings you joy. And so often they don't, they don't have an answer that's quick. Yeah. And so often, and especially anybody who's been experiencing chronic illness for some time, it, it, that is one of the things we do tend to lose touch with. So I love that you mentioned that because that's a, it's such a, it's essential. It's not, we think of joy as like a bonus. It's not a bonus. It's essential for our health. It is. It's essential for our health. And you made me think about overall pet therapy. So for you, it's horses. For somebody yes. else, it might be dogs or their cat, whatever yeah, And it is. I have four dogs who so far yeah. have been quiet today, but... <laughs> 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 Pet therapy is real, but you know, other people have other activities. So I'll also share that one of the other things that I think is finding, when I say to finding joy in some of the little things that we do every day, sometimes it's a game. Like I used to try to play this game with myself, like, okay, I know today is a really bad day, but what's the one thing that I can be thankful for? Mm-hmm. And so if I can find one thing to be grateful for, the more you find one thing, the more you, you realize how many things you can still be grateful for, even in your darkest moments, right? Absolutely. So like, I still have eyes that can see. I still have feet that can walk. So yep. those little things. And that's exactly what I tell people, you know, if you're having one of those days where, because for me, having a gratitude practice, keeping a gratitude journal is such a powerful tool and like the breathing, it doesn't take an hour. You know, it it can be, I like you said one thing. I usually, I say three, but one is a great place to start. And I say, if you're having one of those days, we all know what those days feel like for us. Start with your body. What is working in your body? Like you said, you know, I can see, or I can hold the pen, I, you know, whatever it is. And it does tend to snowball And I'll add, because I've had so many clients kind of look at me like, you don't think I'm a grateful human? No, it has nothing to do with being a grateful human. Like the mindfulness, it's a practice. And it's a practice that creates new neural pathways in your brain and you, you get to grow and bring in that wellness that, that, and like you said, then you see stuff everywhere. Like you can't, you can't get away from it. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah you can't. It, it, it starts to make you more positive. And when you're more positive, you're less stressed. You may be able to prioritize and organize yourself just a little bit better. And you can also realize like, you know what? I can stay away from people who are toxic because toxic people are another source of a huge source of stress for most people. And a lot of people just kind of deal with it, but you don't have to. The other thing that you said that, you know, taking things a little bit at a time, I remember people used to tell me things like, oh, just take it day by day. Actually, I didn't take it day by day. I realized that if I looked at it as taking it day by day, who knows what's going to happen in that day. So I actually started saying, 
okay, what can I do in the next minute? Yep. And then it okay. became five minutes and then it was, you know, and so incrementally, yeah. it might be different on different days. It might be today, what can I do this hour? And another day, it might be, what can I do in the next two minutes that's going to make me feel a little bit better or just get done? So little small things help you to be less stressed because you're in a different mindset. And the whole goal is to help your body to relax way down to that cellular level. I love it. Relax down to the cellular level. I'm writing that one down. (laughs) So you just gave us a few, but as everybody knows, I want you to circle, either circle back and pick one or add another. What is the one thing listeners can start today to, to start to improve their health? So today, if I had to pick one thing, it is just overall, I know it is, (laughs) it's just overall be more mindful. So when you're feeling like, hmm, I might be a little bit stressed, what is that one thing that my body is saying that it needs and go with that? Because it might, it probably will change day to day, but go with that one thing. So if that one thing is turn up the music and dance till your heart's content, do it. If it's journaling, start writing. I love it. And that's where it's individualized. So you guys find your one thing today, which may be different than tomorrow's. We'll have, I'll have all the links for people to find you in the show notes, but I am somebody who loves to listen to podcasts when I'm on the go. And so for those that are listening and not looking, where's the best place for listeners to find you? So the best place for them to find me is actually on my website, which is kajwellness.com. They can shoot me over a message or on Instagram in the DMs because I check that pretty regularly. And that's at Cara J. Love it. Cara, thank you so much. You have given us amazing gold today. Listeners have gotten so much value out of this and we have really enjoyed having you here. Thank you. I enjoyed being here. This is like my thing. So I thank you for having me. Absolutely. For everyone listening, remember you can get the show notes and transcripts by visiting inspiredliving.show. I hope you had a great time and enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity. Did you enjoy this episode? please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to get a transcript of this and every other episode, just head on over to inspiredliving.show or click on the link in this episode's description. There, you can also find everything we discussed in this episode, including links and information about our guest. You can even send in your questions to be answered by Julie in a future episode. That's inspiredliving.show. Until next time. This is Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, helping you take your power back.